What's up, everybody? It's good to see you. Um, we're just going to use that as our bumper video for as long as we ever live, because that will, that's all we'll never get old. Um, it's really good to see you. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at the Summit. Like Andy said, uh, we're in the middle of a series we call United, where we're uh, revisiting and we're recasting our vision and values as a church, why we do what we do, specifically our three core values of the gospel, of community, and tonight we talk about mission. Really, the question that we're going to be trying to answer tonight uh, is, what is the mission of the church? And not only what should be the mission of the church, but really what should be the mission of your life as well? What is the chief cause that God created you for that you're meant to give your life away to? Now, uh, my observation of Denver and in our city is that people are tremendously confused about what the mission of the church is. I see this all the time. And I'm not saying uh, I walk into a coffee shop in downtown and I see people debating church philosophies and theories. I, I don't I don't see that. I see it in a way more uh, normal way. I, I see this in my own life uh, whenever I meet somebody for the very first time. So uh, I'm getting my haircut at Floyd's on Colfax, or I'm down in my gym. I work out at CrossFit Lodo. I love it. And uh, I meet somebody new outside the church. And whenever you meet somebody new, inevitably that question comes, what is it that you do for a living? Now, whenever I'm asked that question, um, it's always humorous to me because I know the person is hoping to get sort of a normal response like, oh, I manage a Starbucks or something like that. But then I drop the bomb, right? I work for a church in downtown. And, and it's in that moment that I can see just how much confusion there is over the mission of the church. I mean, I, I can literally see the confusion on the person's face. You know, their eyes kind of glaze over and they're just, I'm not sure how to respond to what you just said because you don't know what sort of I do throughout the week. You don't know what my church's mission, what type of church. Now, if I did manage a Starbucks, you would know exactly what I do. You would know exactly what my uh, corporation and my organization exists to do. We exist to sell coffee. We exist to convince people that Frappuccinos are not really milkshakes, even though they really are milkshakes. Um, You would know that's what I exist to do as a manager of a Starbucks. But I work for a church, and you're trying to make sense of what exactly is it that you do all week. I understand the confusion. I understand the complexity. You're trying to rack your mind like, what do you do? Do you wear the long flowing robes? Are you that type of church? Are you the church that's kind of crazy and casts spells and casts out demons? It's like, no, I'm not Harry Potter. We're not working for Hogwarts, but I understand the confusion, okay? I, I understand the confusion. Even when you think about this, the movies that you watch, uh, you know, a church is typically portrayed as this sort of evil, truth-suppressing institution that you want to avoid at all costs. Uh, if you think about the media, you know, all the time the news is trying to only tell the stories about the sensationalist churches that are handling snakes or protesting funerals. I understand the confusion. Even in this neighborhood, most of the churches can't really agree what the mission of their institution should be. In fact, this week I was even Googling different churches that are within a two-mile radius of where I'm standing right now. And I want you to just even see some of the variety of the mission statements that I found. So uh, the Summit Church, can we go to the first one? The Summit Church is a gospel community on mission for Jesus to the city of Denver and world. That's, that's us, okay? So that's what's happening right here. Here's the next one. Our church is a place where all people in all our diversity, on all our different paths, and with all our individual and unique expressions of life may come together to celebrate our inherent oneness as perfect manifestations of the one spirit through the use of science of mind mind principles. I don't know what that means, but that's another uh, church in our neighborhood. Go to the next one. 
the church is home to dance worshipers and gets pumping Thursday through Sunday. We draw the best from national to international DJs and cutting-edge talent weekly. The church is an amazing venue for the senses that includes a sushi bar for a late-night bite of mouth-watering sensation. Now, that's not just any church. That's the church, as in the nightclub, the church, that meets right off Broadway, that meets in an old church, okay? But I kind of understand the confusion. I mean, even the churches in this neighborhood can't identify exactly what their mission is. And for many of you in this room, look, I'm not saying if you're confused, I'm mocking you or making fun of you. I completely understand because even the institutions in this neighborhood that call themselves churches can't agree on a definition of what their mission should be. And so, of course, it's confusing. Of course, you're left wondering, I mean, if you guys can't even agree, is there any hope whatsoever? If you guys can't agree, and as I'm trying to figure out what is the cause that I'm meant to give my life away to, what is the mission that God expects of me? If you guys can't agree, is there any hope for me as well? What is the mission of the church? What is meant to be the mission of my life that I give my gifts and my talents and my hopes and my desires and my money away to? Well, here's the good news, is that in spite of all the confusion, if that's a question that you're asking, we believe that Jesus has answers. We we really believe that if that's a question you're asking, we believe that Jesus has answers. And we believe that the good news is, like we talked about last, last week, is that the church belongs to Jesus. We believe he created it. We believe he saved it. We believe the church belongs to Jesus. And because the church belongs to Jesus, not only does he have the right to define what the mission of the church should be, but he's also incredibly clear in communicating what that mission is. He not only has the rights to define it, he's unbelievably clear in communicating it as well. And the passage that we're going to be looking at tonight, he is doing just that. This passage of Matthew 28, 16 through 20, is Jesus clearly communicating what the mission of the church and the mission of your life and mine should be. In fact, like Andy said, these are not only the uh, very words of Jesus, but these are actually some of the last words of Jesus. These are some of the last words of Jesus. So we're coming to the end of the book of Matthew. It's some of Jesus' last words. And we all know, we all watch movies. We all know that some of the most important words that anybody will say are their last words, right? All of you have seen good action movies where some dude says, any last words? You know, it's like this climactic, maybe they don't say it exactly like that, but um, this climactic moment in the movie because we all understand that last words are of greatest importance. And Jesus so values the mission of the church. Jesus so cares about us in this room understanding the mission, the cause that we're meant to give our lives away to that he chooses to use his last words to talking about exactly this. And so what you're about to read and what we're about to work through is Jesus gathering together his closest friends, his closest followers, his disciples, the men who will plant churches, who plant churches, who plant churches, who plant churches, and he's going to give them the game plan. He's going to give them what the mission is. In fact, what you're going to see him do is he's going to give a what and a how. Jesus is going to give a what of what the mission is, and he's going to give a how of how in the world do you actually go about living that mission out. Now, let's look at the text, and let's look through this together. Kind of the best way to think about this text is a lot like a sandwich. In the middle is the what, right? In the middle is the meat, it's the what, it's the command, and then bookending it with the bread is the how. So we're going to start with the what in the middle, starting in verse 19, okay? Right in the middle, we're going to get the what of what this command is. Jesus says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
Now, here's the thing. As, as I understand that for many of you in this room, uh, even though Denver isn't the most church city in the U.S., it's far from it, the reality is as many of you are in some way familiar with what Jesus said there. You've heard that before. You may even know that's the Great Commission. Uh, but l- let me just say this. Is even though this is one of the most famous, well-known commands in the entirety of the Bible, just because it's tremendously well-known, doesn't mean that it isn't often misunderstood. It is often misunderstood. And the reason that it's difficult to understand is because if, if you look again at verse 19, Jesus actually gives kind of four commands. And it's difficult to know exactly what he's after here. Look again in verse 19. He talks about going, right? He says, go therefore and make disciples. He talks about uh, making disciples. So that's the second, making disciples. He talks about baptizing, as well as he talks about uh, teaching them. And so it's kind of difficult. Like, which one are you emphasizing, Jesus? Those are four very big things. Are you after going? Like, are we not supposed to live downtown for an extended period of time? We're supposed to be moving around a lot. Are you after the teaching aspect in terms of like every single Christian is meant to pursue higher education, get a PhD? What exactly is it that you're after? Well, here's where it's helpful for us to get our Greek on, okay? Here's where it's helpful to get your Greek on. And I understand um, you probably didn't expect to come here tonight and have your life changed by ancient languages that people don't speak anymore, as well as structural analysis and things like that. But it's so, so helpful to understand kind of the original language that Jesus was, uh, the original language this was written in, which the New Testament was originally written in Greek. Because what we see is Jesus isn't actually after four things. He's actually after one. What he's doing is not offering four commands, he's offering one command, and then he's using three of the other verbs to explain and elaborate on what he's after. We know this for you uh, nerds who like to go a little bit higher in all this, because of these four verbs in this passage, one is what's called an imperative, it's kind of the main idea that he's after, the other three are known as participles. Participles modify imperatives and expand upon the main idea that he's after, okay? Everybody write that down? Okay. (laughs) So look up at the screen. I want you to see what Jesus is after. The imperative, the main idea of this passage is to make disciples. Okay, that is the one main idea. So when you think about why a church exists, when you think about what your life is supposed to be about, when you think about what is supposed to be the great cause you give your life away to, what Jesus is saying, the one imperative, the one, make disciples disciples. A disciple is just a follower. It's just somebody who follows, obeys, believes Jesus. And he's saying that for us as a church, that for, uh, for you in this room, if you're following Jesus, your do- job description as a follower of Jesus is to make disciples, make followers of him. Now, what he's going to do is use the other commands, the other verbs to elaborate on what it means to make disciples. First, he talks about go, right? He says go. And really, if you translated that literally from the original language, it would say as you are going, as you are going. And what's uh, implied in the as you are going is as you are going about doing your everyday life, as you go tomorrow to work, or you're a stay-at-home mom, or as you go to work out, or as you go to school, wherever it is that you are going in the flow of your everyday life, you should be making disciples. And then he elaborates even more. He says it's not only making disciples as you're going, but by baptizing. First, right, you see that? He says, by baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now, what we believe is that baptism is something that happens after somebody makes the decision to become a disciple. We feel like that's the pattern that you see throughout the New Testament. Somebody decides to start following Jesus, and they're baptized. And the reason they're baptized is it's a physical representation of a spiritual reality. 
It's a physical representation of a spiritual reality. And so what they did back in the, in the New Testament, what we do, try to do today, uh, they didn't necessarily use a horse trough, but they found some sort of body of water and they dunked that individual underneath the water and raised them back up. That didn't save them or, or do anything in their lives, but it was a physical representation of a spirituality that they have, now that they have believed in Christ, their old self has been buried with Christ and they have been raised with Christ as well. What we believe that Jesus is saying here then is an important, important component of making disciples is that as we are going, we are seeing new people become disciples as well. We are leading people to Christ. New people are becoming disciples and following Jesus. But not only as you are going by baptizing, but also by teaching, by teaching. Do you see that? He says, baptizing them, but also verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so here's the deal is that what Jesus says is that when you make the decision to follow, Jesus, follow him, he says the change is so robust in your life that the only way to describe it is like a new birth, right? So, so some of you experience this. You've become Christians recently, and, and so you're like a little baby, right? Physically, you're an adult. Spiritually, you're a little baby. You were just born again, and you're now understanding and comprehending the world in a brand new way. That's great. We celebrate that you made that decision. We celebrate that you got baptized. But what Jesus is saying is the point of being born is that you would grow up, right? Some of you are moms, and you know only for a short period of time is it endearing for your child to remain a baby. Only for a short period of time is, is it uh, endearing for a child to be dependent on its mother's milk. Is it dependent on to have, you know, have mom change diapers? That, that's okay for a short period of time. The point of being born is to grow up. The point of being born again is to grow up as well. What Jesus is saying is it's not just about people making decisions. It's about people growing in that decision as well. And so Come back, what, what he's saying then is that you're trying to wrap your mind around the mission of the church, as you're trying to wrap the mind, your mind around the mission of your life. What he's saying is your job description is to make followers of him. It happens as you go about doing your everyday life, and it happens by you leading people to Christ and you helping people grow in Christ as well. This is the Christian job description. Now, let's think about then how this applies to our lives. Let's think about first how it applies to the life of our church, and then let's try to think about how it applies to our lives as individuals as well. Now, as we think about for our church, here's what you need to know, is that every church, including us, every church has the propensity to fall to one extreme or to the other rather than walking the difficult tightrope of the Great Commission. Okay, every church Every church has that propensity. And, and by that, what I mean is that Jesus is saying the Great Commission, that making disciples en- encompasses both leading people to Christ and seeing people grow in Christ. And what happens is rather than churches being able to do both, they tend to prioritize, emphasize, celebrate one over the other. So, so some, churches, some churches highly emphasize the baptizing extreme. Right? Some, some churches highly emphasize the baptizing extreme. This is a church that baptized, they baptized 10,000 people last Sunday. But what they don't tell you is, you know, they were like raffling off an iPad to whoever would get in the water. You know, it was kind of good incentive to have people make decisions. And even it's the church is composed of people who aren't growing in their relationship with Christ, who aren't obedient to Christ, who aren't active in following Christ. And then when you push them on, it's like, well, you know, I got baptized back when I was 12. I'm good. I made a decision back when I was eight. I'm fine. No, like the point of being born is so that you would grow up. You're too much emphasizing just the baptism aspect of the Great Commission. 
Now, now other churches fall to the other extreme as well. Other ex- churches, they, they didn't baptize 10,000 people last year. They didn't baptize anybody last year. And, and then when you push them on it, you know, there's not repentance, there's not humility. Instead, it's just like, well, we're just too theologically deep for a sinful, dying world. We're just too doctrinally sound for the, the skeptical people that surround us. And what you have is a church full of people that can give you all the answers about the Bible. They, they can give you all the answers about theology. They are, they are doctrinally sound, but they have no idea how to have a conversation with somebody who doesn't believe what they believe. What you have is people who have no sort of intentional, meaningful relationships with those people who would disagree about what they believe about who God is. And then they hide behind theology and behind doctrine to justify why they are not being obedient to the baptism aspect of the Great Commission. It's so much easier to emphasize decisions over discipleship, isn't it? It's so much easier to emphasize doctrine over discipleship, isn't it? And here at the summit, we love decisions. We, we love decisions. We love celebrating the decision to follow Jesus. We love doctrine. We, we think it's crucial for you to understand what you believe and why you believe it. We think it is so important for you to do that. But we will not emphasize decisions or doctrine over making disciples because Jesus says it is the most important thing. And churches tend to do everything other than the most important thing in the life of their existence. Here's what you need to know at the summit. We will try to walk the difficult tightrope called the Great Commission. So, so on one hand, we will emphasize baptizing. By that, I mean that we will try to create a culture that is tremendously welcoming to those of you here tonight who aren't followers of Jesus or are coming back to church and it's your first time to church in a very long time or maybe the first time in your life. So, so, so just think about this, how this practically manifests itself even tonight. Even tonight, you had Andy come up and explain to you what's going on. And we've provided Bibles for you. And we've told you what page the Bible page of the Bible that we're studying tonight. It's not because we don't anticipate that there's some people here who know where Matthew 28 is. It's because we care about maybe the five or six people in the room who are in church for the first time in a very long time and exploring what they believe about who God is. When you think about me preaching, if you, if you notice, the way I try to preach is discernible to those of you who may not listen to preaching very regularly. So when I'm talking about, you know, theological terms, I don't assume that you just talk about ecclesiology and eschatology and the flow of your everyday life, and those are just terms that you understand. We try to define them for you. When we talk about illustrations, we're not talking about, you know, long 20-page Puritan quotes because for many of you in this room, you have no idea who the Puritans are. And if you did, you wouldn't care whatsoever. I love the Puritans, but I understand that what, what is more relevant for your life are books, movies, culture, TV, things that you're watching. And we're trying to help you understand those things from a gospel-centered, biblical worldview as well. When you think about the way we invite you in on everything that we do, when we try to make you feel welcome here at Sunday night, when we try to make you welcome at a city group, when we try to continually invite you into it, what we're trying to communicate to you is that you being in our presence is not, as an, it's not an intrusion. It's one of the primary reasons that we exist. If you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, you are not an intrusion on what we're doing. You're not an inconvenience. You're one of the primary reasons that we exist. We exist to connect men and women to Jesus, and we want to create a safe, welcoming environment where you can do that, and you can learn more about what you believe about Jesus so we can push you towards making the decision that you should make. So we will emphasize baptizing, but at the same time, we will emphasize the teaching aspect as well. That when you make that decision to be born again, we will push you to grow up in that decision. That's why some of you, over the past few months, you became followers of Jesus, and we handed you a new Christian guide. 
right? And, and some of you have gone through that. You've completed it. Some of it, you are going through it with the person who led you to Christ. Uh, others of you, we push to do our Going Deeper seminars where we're taking theological works to complement the, the teaching series that we're going through to help you grow up in your faith in the context of community. It's the reason we push you towards city groups so that in the context of community, you can have better discipleship relationships and potentially go even deeper. It's why when I preach, I don't go 10 minutes. I go 40 minutes straight from the Bible, and I talk about things like Greek verb tenses, It's because the vision is not exclusively for you to make a decision. It's for you to grow as a disciple. And so everything we do as an organization, yes, it is about pushing for decisions. Yes, it is about doctrine. But it is is ultimately about making disciples. That's why we do what we do. But think about this for your personal life as well. I know up to this point, this may not even feel that relevant. Maybe maybe you're here tonight and... um, you're not interested in participles and imperatives. Um, you're not interested in a structural analysis of a text. You're not interested even like what a church, uh, the next county over may do. That, that doesn't strike you as important whatsoever. You want to know why this matters so much for your life? You know why Jesus is speaking exactly to you, even if you don't know what you believe about God? Here, here's, here's the great thing about this room, right? What this room is full of It's people who are part of a cause-driven generation in the middle of a cause-driven city, right? I mean, causes impact the type of clothes we wear. It's the reason that some of you wear Toms or used to wear Toms. Causes, they they drive the food that we eat. I mean, it's hard in Denver now to find a granola bar that doesn't give some percentage of its profits away to helping somebody else. And I'm not skeptical of those things. I'm not cynical towards those things. I'm not doubtful of those things. But do you see what Jesus is saying here? The reason your heart craves a cause is because you were created for a cause. That's why your heart craves a cause. You were created for a cause. And I'm not knocking Tom's one-to-one program. I think it's great. I'm not knocking 1% for the planet. I think it's great. But ultimately, that was not the chief end for which you were created and to give your life away to. What Jesus is saying is what you were created to do is to make followers of him by leading people to Christ as you are going and see people grow in that decision to follow Christ as well, that you have the unbelievable opportunity to come alongside your creator, your savior, your Lord, and partner with him as he brings about the business of redemption and reconciliation and salvation in the life of those you care about and you love the most. Don't you see the good news of what comes here from Jesus' what? is that Christianity is more than a truth just to be believed. It is the great cause you were meant to take on. And as you take it on and as you step out in faith, you are giving your life away to the one thing that is worth you giving your life away to. Anything else will fail in comparison, not because it's not good, because it is not the best. This is what you were created to do, no matter what you believe about God. You can't escape it. So You've had this incredible opportunity, not just to to hear about this and learn about this, but to actually see this, actually see this in your presence. You've seen your friends do this. You saw in the past few months, just in the past few months, you saw DB baptize Evan. You saw Joe uh, baptize Angel. You saw uh, Scott baptize Sean. You saw Mark baptize TJ, and then TJ consequently baptized his wife, Sam. What you've seen are glimpses, Polaroid pictures of what it means for your family 
the Summit family to be in the business of partnering alongside God as he brings about redemption and reconciliation in the lives of friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, people who were once complete strangers and now have been turned upside down because they have encountered the true and living God. What other cause compares? What else compares to that? What Jesus is saying is not only were you saved from your sin, but you were saved into a community called the church. And that church exists not for itself, but it exists for the good of those outside it. You were saved into a church for a mission of seeing men and women encounter the true, risen, living God. That's the what. We exist as a church. You exist as an individual to make disciples. As you're going about your everyday life, as you're baptizing, as you're teaching. Now, Jesus offers not only a what, he offers a how as well, right? So there should be some element of like, okay, that sounds good, but it seems difficult, right? That's a little bit above my pay grade, and that's good because... But Jesus is going to offer a how. Remember, remember our sandwich of the passage? So he's going to bookend this command with the how. Okay, look again at verse 16. We'll, we'll kind of look at the fullness of what he says here. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19 First half of verse 20, he gives the command we just looked at, and he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, what you're going to see here is Jesus gives a how. Okay, he told us what to do. He's going to tell us how to do it. But you need to understand the context that he's giving this how to two different types of people. Okay, this how to two different types of people. He's going to talk to those who doubt, and he's he's going to talk to those who are scared, okay? Those who doubt and those who are scared. You'll you'll see it right here uh, in this text. We'll walk through. Let's talk first to those who are scared. Look at the way that Jesus gives this command. Now, imagine this. Now, 11 guys who've seen their... Lord, be crucified and resurrect from the grave. They're trying to emotionally recover from all this going on. And he says, okay, here's the game plan. I want the 11 of you to make disciples. Okay, like, so what's my quota? Like one person in my lifetime? No, of all nations. See, the the thing is, if you're not believing Jesus and you take this at face value and you think this is no big deal, you've totally misunderstood this command. It is meant to be above your pay grade. It is meant to bring about fears of inadequacy uh, and insufficiency to make this happen. And look what Jesus says. He bookends this by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He tells them about his power, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he gives the command, and then look at the way he finishes it. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Not only am I powerful, but I am present as well. I am with you always, even till the end of the age. What Jesus is saying is that in that moment where fears of insufficiency, inadequacy, when fears arise, where we can take rest in the fact that we can know that both his power and his presence enable us to live out the mission, the marching orders that have been given to us. Because here's the thing. Most of you in this room are socially aware, right? 
And, and if, typically you think if somebody's not socially aware, it's somebody else who has the problem. So I don't understand. Everybody in this room is like, yes, I am socially aware. And um, none of us like to be weird, right? Like none of us want to be the religious nut job in the office place. Like some of you have already like, so wait a second, are you telling me, you know, how are you going to unpack this? Are you telling me that in my office, like the weird religious guy that nobody, like that's going to be me? You're telling me that's my marching orders? You're telling me that's what it means to follow Jesus? You're telling me that's my job in the gym? Nobody wants to be weird. I mean, everybody likes to be liked. Everybody knows it's a lot easier to talk about almost anything other than faith and religion. And and here's what Jesus is saying. In the moment that you're on that hour and a half car ride with your buddies that you don't know that well to go skiing in Breckenridge, and it's like five of you in the car and none of you know each other very well, and all of a sudden, for some reason, the conversation turns to religion and they're just mocking exactly what you believe and what we believe and what I teach on, and they just assume that you know, anybody who's even in a car with them wouldn't remotely believe the types of things that they're mocking believing. In the moment that that's happening, and you, you swallow the lump in your throat, and you decide to step up and speak out, and you're not sure how it's going to go, the power and the presence of Christ is there with you. Then the moment that tomorrow morning, right? So, so, so tomorrow morning, it's Monday. Nobody likes Monday, and nobody likes Monday morning. And because of that, you know, everybody gets in right at 9 o'clock if you start at 9 o'clock. And, you know, you don't start right at work if it's 9 o'clock. You go to the break room at 9 o'clock to get coffee for 15 minutes so you don't have to start your work day until maybe 9.30, 9.45, 10 o'clock. Right? Don't, don't look at me like you don't play that game, okay? I know it. I, I know it, Okay? And in the moment that you go to that break room and your coworkers talk about what you did this past weekend, if you have a break room, and they ask you what you did this weekend and you decide for the very first time in your life to be honest with them, right? Not like, well, you know, you just watch some sports and have some fun and went skiing and just like, you know, you, like you actually tell them, like, I went to church last night. And I went to church and I wanted to go to church. Like, nobody made me go to church. I chose to go to church, and I love my church, and I'm growing at my church, and I think you should go to I, I'm hearing what you did this past weekend, and you definitely need to be in church, right? <laughs> and I want to invite you to come to church. In that moment that you swallow the lump in your throat and you decide to step up, speak out, put yourself out there, the power and the presence of Christ is there with you, enabling you to live out the mission that you were called to. And whatever it is that this week brings when you're presented with the opportunity to make disciples the power and the presence of Christ compels you and enables you to do that which you were called to do. Famous author he once said that in the moment where our fears meet our faith, God intercedes. And he intercedes much like a loving father who comes in and says, close your eyes and take my hand. What Jesus is saying here is he's offering a promise. He's saying in that moment that you decide to put yourself out there, in that moment that you decide to take a risk, in that moment you decide to jeopardize a potential relationship and you just don't know how it's going to go if I tell you what I believe and and what's going on in your life and and, and why it's not just your circumstances, why it's your heart and why it's your sin and why you should get connected to a church and all about you. In that moment, in that moment that you close your eyes and you reach out for the hand of God, God is faithful to reach out for you as well. He will not let you fall. He is faithful. And his power and his presence are with us even till the end of the age. In light of that, our fears fade away. Now, like we said, Jesus isn't just talking to those who 
Uh, fear, he's talking to those who doubt as well. In fact, look at verse 17. It's probably, I think it's the most interesting part of this entire passage. Um, it says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. You see that in verse 17? When they worshiped him, they, or when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, this is one of the reasons that I, one of the many reasons I believe the Bible is actually true, because it includes little details like this that if you were trying to invent a religion, you wouldn't include, right? Like, if you're trying to invent a religion, you're not like, in Jesus' final words, some guys are there just like, I don't believe this whatsoever. You know, like, that's, that's just, that's like, it's like, why do you include it? Well, well, one, because it happened, right? Like, the Bible has integrity to actually tell the stories that really happen. But here's the other thing. Some of you here tonight, you're not on board with what I'm saying, okay? I, I know it. I, I'm not under any illusion that because you're in this room tonight that, that you don't not only struggle to believe this command for your life, but you struggle to believe Jesus' call on your life. You know why this is included? Because from the very foundations of our faith, there were those who were, even, who were close to Jesus who, who struggled with belief. There, there were people from the very beginning, from the foundations of our faith, just like you, who struggled to believe and obey Jesus. See, I don't know why you doubt, okay? I, I understand that, that some of you are here and you, you doubt. I, I don't understand why that may be the case. Um, Maybe you just think like any good person in the city does where tolerance is king and, you know, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and the call to, like, make disciples of all nations seems to violate that. You keep your religion yourself, I'll keep my religion myself. And, you know, a personal relationship with God is meant to be nothing but personal and they shouldn't interfere with one another. Maybe you're more even educated about it than that. Maybe you've studied history and you've seen how the church has historically at times uh, abused this command. Maybe you even just have a negative personal experience with it where, you know, you had a buddy and you guys could just hang out and just have fun together and all of a sudden they became a Christian and they're talking to you about things like eternal matters and the destiny of your soul and heaven and hell and you're just like, man, like we used to talk about the playoffs. Like what happened to playoff talk, uh, not heaven versus hell and eternal destiny of my so, like, can we go back to the way it was? I, I, I don't know why you doubt, uh, and I'm thankful that you're here even though you are doubting, but I even acknowledge that in a sermon, I'm not going to relieve every doubt or struggle that you have with the Christian faith. I'm not going to answer all your questions in, in the next five or ten minutes. But, but here's just, if, if you're here tonight, and if I'm describing you and I'm talking to you right now, I, I just want to tell you something. The reason that we share the reason that we make disciples, the reason that we do what Jesus says here is, is not because we're trying to shove truth down your throat. That's, that's not what we're trying. We're not trying to shove truth down your throat. We are in the business of seeing people's lives changed. We're not trying to shove truth down your throat. We, we want to see your life changed by the living God. And here's the thing. I, even though you don't believe what I believe, I know what we can agree on right now. You know what? Is that when you have an encounter with something beautiful and life-changing, it is your natural instinct to share it, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, last week, I discovered a new band called the Oh Hellos, and before I even could think twice about it, I texted seven people. I'm tweeting for the entire world to know about it. Why? Because when we encounter something beautiful, it is our natural instinct to share, isn't it? Isn't it? It's, it's your instinct to do the exact same thing. And here's the thing. is we believe we've encountered something in God that is both beautiful and life-changing. We believe that God created you. We believe he created me. We believe he created everything. We believe he made you. 
We believe he gave you the very breath that fills up your lungs. We believe he loves you. And we believe that all of us have gone astray. That's what the Bible says. Like sheep have fled from their shepherd. We believe that when you flee from the giver and the sustainer of life, the natural consequence, that that sin, that natural consequence of when we do that is nothing but chaos and dysfunction. We believe that probably one of the reasons that you're here tonight is because you've experienced frustration after frustration, dysfunction after dysfunction, heartbreak after heartbreak, that just an endless perpetual cycle again and again and again and again. You know what we believe? We believe you can get off that awful awful amusement park ride. And what needs to change is not ultimately your circumstances, it's your heart. We believe that's what ingrained inside you and in every single one of us is a sinful, rebellious heart that says to God, we'll take a little bit of input from you, but I can run my own life. Thank you very much. God doesn't work that way. God doesn't work that way. And anytime anyone other than God functions as God of your life, it doesn't go well. And here's what we believe. We believe that even though every single one of us, including me, have turned our backs on God. God doesn't say, well, all right then, have it your own way. All right then, you turned your back on me, I'll turn my back on you. It's fair. You know what he does? He comes after us. He comes after us. And he doesn't come after us by offering us a bunch of religious rules for us to obey in order to be better people. He steps out of heaven into history and he offers us himself. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, living the life we should have lived so that we might be deemed righteous where we are unrighteous. Going to a cross to die for our sins so that we might be forgiven even though we deserve punishment. Resurrected from the grave. Why? Because even though our disease of sin should have brought about the consequences of death in our lives, Jesus says, I will conquer the grave on your behalf and by grace through faith, my victory might become your victory as well. We really believe that Jesus is resurrected from the grave and he's in the business of changing lives as well. And the reason we share is because he's done it in my life and he's done it in the life of the many people around you and definitely in the life of the person who invited you to be here tonight. The reason we share is not because we are trying to impose truth on you. It's not because we're trying to shove truth on you. It's because we care. And when you encounter something beautiful, when you encounter something life-changing, when you encounter something that we believe can redeem and restore and reconcile your life, how much do you have to hate somebody not to share that truth? Look, I understand. I understand that For some of you, you're here, you're skeptical, you're doubtful. That wasn't convincing for you whatsoever. But for some of you, maybe it's even just one of you. It's like, that makes complete sense. That makes absolute, complete sense. What what do I do with that? Well, you know what the good news at this point is? Jesus says, how? Right? The whole point of this this point is how. How how do you start that? Well, Well, Jesus gives you that right here. You turn away from the way you're living. You repent. You turn to Jesus and you believe. You stop playing God and you start allowing God to be God and you believe that Jesus died in your place to forgive you of your sin and you begin following him as your risen Lord. We believe it starts with a decision and with that decision, you become a disciple. And we believe that some of you, maybe it's even just one of you, you need to make that decision tonight. And we will, you will make that decision tonight. You ask God, you'll talk to me, you'll talk to Andy, you'll talk to the friend who brought you. You say, I want to make that decision tonight. You need to make that decision tonight. 
And with that decision, you will become a disciple. And the point of being born again is that you would grow up. And what we pray is that you come into our family and you join and we train you and we equip you and we raise you up and you grow up as a a well-rounded, faithful follower of Jesus Christ who makes other disciples of those around you. And ultimately what happens is you come up on this stage and you remember four, five, six months ago when you were sitting in this room tremendously skeptical and you were baptizing the friend of the person that you went through the exact same journey with six months later. This is why our church exists. We believe the gospel is preached. We believe when the gospel is preached, it brings the dead heart to life. We believe those dead hearts are compiled together to create a community called the church. We believe that church exists not for itself, but the good and the joy of the city around it. And as we live as a sent family of missionaries, as we live as a sent people to the city and the neighborhoods and and the workplaces and, and the families and the strangers and the homeless and the down and out and the least of these, as we live as a sent people, the gospel is preached. People are brought into the community. Those brought into the community are equipped, trained, and sent out. And that cycle happens again and again and again and again. The Summit Church is a gospel community that lives on mission for Jesus to the city of Denver and the world. And we will do that forever until kingdom come, finding strength in the power and the presence of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that as our hearts yearn for a cause, you give that cause for us. And I pray that um, for us who follow you, that we would radically be willing to reorient our finances, our lives, our jobs, the entirety of who we are around the cause that you've given us and enable us by your Holy Spirit to have that happen. And what my prayer is for those who don't know you and are even wrestling with the idea of following you tonight and even starting that decision in that relationship in that long journey of discipleship, What my prayer is, is they would understand that ultimately what our faith boils down to is not a cause, it's a person. It's about who do you say that Jesus is. And if Jesus is who he says he is, then he is not only Savior, but he is Lord, and he's meant to be followed, worshipped, and obeyed. And so, God, I pray um, for anybody who may make that decision, I pray that they would have the courage uh, to share that with others, and I pray Uh, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would change lives even tonight and let the mission go forward in the next 15 minutes as we worship and celebrate you. We ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.